to Gathering Gains Prophecy Times podcast. We have had a big break over the Christmas and New Year's period and we are back for, I think we're in episode 6 this week as we tackle Revelation chapter 5. So I hope you've had a nice little break over Christmas and New Year's. Uh, We hope you haven't had a break from the Word though uh, and uh, we hope that this uh, will encourage you uh, to get back into it if you have or to continue in the Word um, as we kick into this new year. So grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 5 and, uh, and we are going to dive right in. Okay, Revelation chapter 5 starting at verse 1. I'm reading with the New King James translation. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. So first of all, him who sat on the throne, that is God, that is God the Father specifically. Verse two, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, said John, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And of course, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, are terms specifically referencing the Messiah, the Christ, excuse me. So one through five. Now, I'm just going to pause here and we're going to continue with verse six shortly. But here in these first five verses, we find a scroll introduced and this scroll is quite important this this scroll of revelation 5 we find it in the right hand of the father it's in the right hand of the father it is a scroll that is sealed with seven seals and it has writing on the outside of the scroll and on the inside when it's rolled up and one had to be worthy in order to open the scroll, to loose its seals, and even to look at it, says the scripture. And then it goes on to say that no one was found worthy, not in heaven or on earth or under the earth. No one was found worthy. And John wept much. Now that, that word there in the Greek, wept much, wept, it means wailed aloud. It means sobbed convulsively. He was sobbing and vocally. It wasn't just a quiet cry in the corner. The question is, why? And the answer is quite simple. No one was found worthy to open the scroll. But my question is, why is that a big, such a big deal for John? What is it about this scroll that makes it so awful that if no one can open it, it's a disaster. What, what is, why is the scroll such a big deal to God? There's a few hints for us. First of all, God the Father holds it in his right hand. Second of all, uh, sorry, I should say, first of all, 
God is holding it. So the Father is holding it. So that's a big deal. Second of all, he's holding it in his right hand, which typically is a sign of strength or honor or authority or importance, things done with the right hand. Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father means uh, with equal uh, authority. The third thing is one had to be worthy to open it. So whatever it is, it's an important scroll and you have to be worthy. There's a requirement in order for you to open it. And apparently, if it wasn't opened or claimed, then this was a very bad thing um, revealed by John's response to no one being found worthy. Now, there have been many explanations for what this scroll is. And although it's not essential, it is important to kind of, uh, it's important to grasp what it is most likely that the scroll was now or is. Many Bible scholars believe, and I, uh, I tend to agree with them, that the best biblical explanation for this scroll is that it is a legal title deed. And that is specifically the title deed to the whole earth. Now, take it back a little bit. Originally, the earth belonged to God by creation. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. When God created man, God gave the, the man the earth. Okay, So he gave dominion and authority of the earth to the man. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, Let them, that is mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God gave the earth to man. So God God still owns it, but the tenant possession of the earth, so to speak. Now I'm using that language because that's very Jewish language in relation to property and land and and we'll talk more about that soon but God gave the tenant possession of the earth to rule and have dominion over the earth to mankind that's important but Adam turned the earth over to Satan we didn't we didn't keep hold of the tenant possession Adam turned the tenant possession over to Satan when he disobeyed God and obeyed Satan's suggestion At that time, mankind forfeited the earth over to Satan and it became his. It became Satan's. Yes, it is still God's world and he is sovereign and he is the ultimate owner. But in a very practical sense, at that time and at this present time, it is Satan's world. The tenant ownership or leasehold or possession of the land, if you will, belongs to Satan. Paul said, he is the God of this world. He has blinded the eyes of the people in 2 Corinthians 4.4, speaking of Satan. Jesus even called Satan the prince of this world on a couple of occasions. And so what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? And this is where we need to understand redemption. It was to redeem the world, the whole earth, and everything in it back to God. Now, when Jesus did come, what was one of the first things Satan did to Jesus, uh, apart from trying to uh, kill him before he had a chance to grow? If you fast forward to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the first thing that Satan did 
was that he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Luke 4, 5 to 8 says this, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. In a moment of time. Verse 6, And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, Satan says to Jesus, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Satan says the glory and the authority of the whole world has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me before, if you will worship before me, all will be yours, so says Satan to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. What a boast Satan was making. Hey, the whole world is mine. I give it to whoever I please. If you want it, Jesus, just worship me. Here it is. I'll give it to you. But did you notice Jesus' answer? Did you notice he didn't say, Satan, it's not yours. You don't own it. It's not yours to give. You have no power or authority on this earth. He didn't say that. He didn't dispute the claim of Satan. And that's because the claim was right. The world is in Satan's control. God, for whatever reason, has chosen to allow Satan to control the world for this time. And the world is in rebellion against God. Satan is indeed the God of this world. And when you receive Jesus Christ, what a wonderful th that thing that is to receive Jesus Christ. When you do that, you become an alien to the world. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world... The world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, we are not of the world. We are gods. The world is under Satan's power and control. The world belongs to Satan and is in rebellion against God. And man has joined in, in Satan's rebellion from the time of Adam's fall. I want to quote something from Chuck Smith. He says this, I am certain that if we could have a vote right now, and if we placed on the ballot, who do we want to rule over the world, God or Satan? Satan would win by a landslide. Now you may challenge that statement, but just put Satan in the guise or the disguise of the flesh in which he comes living after the flesh or living after righteousness and you don't have to go to the ballot people express their vote by the lifestyles that they live and i dare say that those that are living after the flesh far outnumber those that are living after the spirit so the person casts his vote by his lifestyle and obviously Satan has won by a landslide. Satan is the ruler of this earth right now. And it is for this exact reason that John sobs convulsively. Because the world currently belongs to Satan. And if no one was found worthy to open the official title deed of the earth in order to redeem and reclaim the earth back to God then it would continue to be in Satan's control. And for that reason, John sobs convulsively.
So what made someone worthy to open the scroll? Because no one was found initially. Worthy to redeem and reclaim ownership of the earth. What makes someone worthy to redeem and reclaim ownership of property or land or people? Now for this answer, can I encourage you to do a thorough study of Israel's practice, which was instituted by God, of the kinsman redeemer in relation to redeeming people and in relation to redeeming land. It's worth checking out Jeremiah chapter 32 closely and also the book of Ruth as, uh, as a starting point. Now, as you do that, and we don't have time to go into all of that today, but what you'll notice as you do that is that there are two things that are absolutely essential in the process of redemption. Two things that are absolutely essential in the process of redemption. And I'm going to uh, quote a guy by the name of E.W. Bullinger uh, in relation to these two things that are essential. He says this, the payment of the price is only one part of the work of redemption. One part, the payment of the price. If the price be paid and there be no power to take, excuse me, no power to take possession and eject the holder, the payment is in vain. And if power be put forth, and exercised in casting out the usurper on the land without the previous payment of the redemption price, it would not be a righteous act. So for the redemption of the forfeited inheritance of the earth, two things are absolutely necessary. The purchase price of redemption and the power to reclaim the earth and cast out the usurper. The sealed scroll of Revelation 5 is surely the title deed of the earth for the redemption of mankind and indeed the whole earth. This deed was made and sealed when Christ paid the redemption price. And what was that price? What was the purchase price of redemption? We know it. We're covered in it. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of, lamb, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Matthew 13, 44, in speaking of the kingdom of heaven, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I always got this parable wrong. Buys that field. If you go back to verse 38 of Matthew 13, it declares that the field is the world. And who gave everything that he has in order to purchase the world? Jesus Christ gave everything that he has. Gave, gave his... Uh, his position as God in, in heaven to come to earth as a baby, gave his life on the earth, on the cross for us. He gave everything he had to pay the purchase price of redemption for the earth. He wanted to redeem it and everything in it. And he wanted to take his treasure out of it. The field is the earth, the treasure is, in the earth. What is that treasure? 
It's his church, the body of Christ. You who have come to believe and trust in him. He redeemed the whole world that he might take you and me out of it. Why is he taking us out of it? He's redeeming us so that he can then use his power to come against and cast out the usurper that currently rules and reigns on the earth. That is Satan and all Satan's followers. God comes to reclaim and take out his treasure to then set his power upon the usurper and cast him out forever. Incredible. That is exactly what happens as Jesus unseals the scroll of Revelation chapter 5. We see Jesus using his power, power through judgment to cast out Satan and his followers. Verse 6 of Revelation 5, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures... And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Now, first of all, horns, scripturally, uh, if you check out Deuteronomy 33, 17, uh, it's used for general strength or uh, strength just in general. Um, in Daniel 8, 20 through 21, it's used in relation to political or military might. And in other places, it's used in relation to uh, pride and uh, puffing yourself up. But in this case, it's in relation to God. And so we see it's, it must be in relation to his strength or might or power is what it's refer, referring to. This lamb as though it had been slain, having power to redeem and having even the seven eyes, which are... What? The seven spirits. So the Bible clearly articulates what this one is right here in the, next, in the next part of the verse. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, which speaks of the Holy Spirit. The seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we find in Isaiah these seven things. Then he came, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The Messiah, the Lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah took the scroll out of the right hand of God. Notice that uh, the elder calls him the, the lion of the tribe of Judah in verse 5, but John sees him as the lamb of God. I wonder if that's because John sees him as, as uh, an actual lamb right in front of him, or if John sees him with the scars from the cross, which uh, represent him being the once and forever Lamb of God. Either way, he sees the Lamb of God. Verse 8, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incest, which, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying this, and this is cool. Verse 9, They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus well, the Messiah, but we know him as Jesus and we get more details of that soon. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Who was slain? Jesus. And have redeemed us to God by your blood, Jesus' blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us 
kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Question is, who, who can sing that song? Can Israel sing that song? Well, no, they can't because it's people out of every tribe and tongue and nation. So it's not Israel. Angels? Were angels redeemed uh, by God's blood? No, that's the church. This is the church speaking right here. The 24 elders are representatives of the church. Verse 11, uh, what's also interesting, and we've covered this in another episode, is that the church here is in heaven. What's the timing of that? The timing is before the tribulation begins. We kick into the tribulation, seven-year tribulation period at the beginning of chapter 6. The church is in heaven before then. The rapture of the church takes place before the seven-year tribulation. Again, we've covered this in a previous podcast. Then, verse 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's a large number. And also thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, verse 13, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. How cool is this? Previously, all creation groans. Romans 8.22 All creation groans up until that moment of, of the sons of God being revealed. That is the rapture. And after that moment, we see here, all creation rejoices. What for? At the coming judgment of the world during the tribulation period that will bring about the redemption of the whole earth. Psalm 96 verse 11 through 13 speaks to this whole of creation rejoicing at the coming judgment. It's incredible. I'll read it to you in fact. Psalm 96 11 to 13. Psalm 96. I wasn't going to read it but I will read it. Psalm 96, verses 11 to 13. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. You see, all creation groans up until the moment of the rapture and then they rejoice at the coming of the Lord for judgment and the process of judgment. Incredible. Verse 14, and this brings us to the end of Revelation chapter 5. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for another Prophecy Times podcast. We are back into the swing of things now, so you'll see another podcast dropping hopefully next Wednesday, and hopefully this one comes out uh, at 5 p.m. We'll see how we go. 
Um, but uh, we, we look forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love and